Well, good morning, church. I am Eric Pruitt, and I'm very uh, excited to be here. Before we jump into the message, just want to go over a few announcements for everyone. Uh, these are all at the month of the glance, which are at the communion table. Uh, Jeff wanted me to hit a couple things. Medina Ice Festival, that is coming up February 16th, 17th, and 18th. I think we only have one spot left on the 17th, that Saturday, for somebody to fill in. A few spots still to serve two-hour shifts on Sunday. Uh, so that's a great opportunity, outreach for us, get our name out in the community and pass out some chapstick and some uh, dog treats as well. And then uh, we're having a super Sunday, February 25th. That's right after service, 11:15. Y'all bring soup, chili, whatever you want to make, bring that. We'll provide everything else. It's going to be just a fun opportunity to fellowship with one another, but that's coming up on the 25th. And then last but not least, it's also on your outline today, uh, the egg hunt. We're doing Easter egg hunts a little bit differently than we've done the last couple years. So we want to make this a big community event, outreach event. So we're going to be Sunday, uh, March 17th at Memorial Park. And this is for two years old through fifth grade. So obviously, y'all bring all your kids and then uh, invite people. That's the big thing. You want to invite neighbors and family and friends and classmates. Invite them all to show up. But we're going to need your help in collecting Easter eggs and nut-free candy. So we're going to start those collections next Sunday. So next Sunday when you come, bring all the plastic Easter eggs and all that nut-free candy. We're aiming for 10,000. 10,000 uh, of each. So it's going to be a big event. It's going to be great. And this is going to be rain or shine on March 17th. And it's a great opportunity right before Easter to invite people to the services. And then last but not least, uh, Jeff is here. He's uh, back in the corner. And I just, I'll give you a quick update. He didn't ask me to share this, but I'll share it because I know he shared it with some of you. Uh, he's got a couple more appointments coming up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but God kind of moved timelines and moved the doctor's schedules. And uh, he was able to get scheduled for surgery this upcoming Friday morning. First thing, he's the first one on the docket. So we just want to pause right now and pray for Jeff. Uh, thank you for all of your texts and calls and emails and support. Uh, he, I know, and Brenna sincerely appreciate that. So let's just pray before we begin. Father, I do want to thank you for today. Thank you for all the, the things that are coming up, the events, the outreach opportunities, the, the time for fellowship, uh, God, that we've got planned as a church. And, and Father, we just pray your blessings upon all of those events. God, help us to be salt and light to the community through the Easter eggs and through the Medina Ice Festival. God, help us to grow relationally with one another through this uh, super Sunday. And Father, I do pray as well for Jeff, God. Our, our leader, a campus pastor here, uh, Father, um, we just want to pray for Friday's surgery, that it would be very successful, God, that the recovery process would be quick as well so that he can be back on this stage doing what he loves to do, which is preaching your word. So, Father, we just pray for all of that to take place, and God, we thank you in advance for hearing and for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, we conclude our series, Tough Questions, and we've gone through quite a few difficult questions, but I think the one that we're going to talk about today might be the most uh, asked question of all time, and it's this, why would a loving God send people to hell? Why would a loving God send people to hell? Have you ever asked that or thought that or if someone asked that to you? Anybody? 
Yeah, nodding heads, I see some hands raised, absolutely. And it's such a common question that it does have a very clear answer. However, the majority of the world refuses to believe in the existence of hell. In fact, in a national survey taken in 2020, only 56% of the respondents stated that hell is an actual place. Over half of our country does not believe that hell is real, and that is because Satan is such a master of deception. Think of it this way. If hell were a real place, which it is, and if the devil were real, which he is, what would his strategy be to get us to join him in hell forever? I think the best strategy is to trick people into believing that he doesn't exist. The best strategy is to trick people into believing that hell isn't real, that it's a made-up place. You try to convince them to live a ridiculously self-centered life, craving comfort, rejecting sacrifice, avoiding persecution, and believing that this life is the only thing that matters. Believing that God is a God of love and not a God of justice or wrath. Believing that the devil is just some fictional character who wears this tight red jumpsuit and has a pitchfork in his hand. So if you were to Google, which I did, I Googled picture of Satan, here were some of the first pictures that came up. The first one that I saw was this guy. So I just, I call this dude business Satan. So if you make a deal with the devil, that's the guy that you make a deal with. Another picture that came up right after that was this, like this big belly Satan who is like, I think this guy in a middle age crisis and he's got his little pitchfork and he's angry with God. He's just kind of stomping around. And then one more. Aw, everybody say, aw, baby Satan, right? Baby Satan. And are any of us intimidated by those images? No, not at all. Not at all. We laugh at those images. Satan would have us make light of this terrible place called hell. Think about all the jokes that people have made over the years. The salesman who was so good at his job that he could sell an air conditioner to the devil. Or the husband who was happy to be in hell because he finally got some peace and quiet from his nagging wife. Husbands, don't use that one. Don't use it. It won't go well for your marriage. You know, a few years ago, singer Steven Tyler wished happy birthday to his friend Willie Nelson. And he said this, here's hoping that we will have twice as much fun in hell as we did here on earth trying to get there. Comedian Ricky Gervais, he said, a Christian telling an atheist that he's going to hell is about as scary as a small child telling an adult that they won't get any presents from Santa. You see, the devil has done a masterful job at convincing the world to believe a lie, that he isn't real and that hell doesn't exist. But what I want us to do this morning is look at scripture and uncover the truth about hell. You know, decades ago, preachers talked about hell a lot. There were lots of hellfire and brimstone messages. They literally tried to scare the hell out of people. They pushed them that far away. And as a result, I think the next generation of preachers, they kind of swung to the other side of the pendulum. 
The reason was because they didn't want to offend people. They didn't want to communicate the wrong message. You see, preaching about God's love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, that feels good, right? That sits well with us. That gives us the warm fuzzies inside. But when we start talking about God's wrath and his judgment and his punishment, it tends to have the opposite effect. Crowds don't really like that. And as a result of this pendulum swing, we live in a culture today that believes that when we die, if there's an afterlife, when we die, everybody just goes to heaven. Friends, that could not be any further from the truth. Jesus spoke these words in Matthew chapter 7. He said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few. Jesus never told us, you know what? Live however you want. Worship whoever you want to worship. You do what you want to do. It doesn't matter because in the end, you're all going to wind up with me on judgment day. He never said that. That is not how it's going to happen. So let's set the facts straight this morning. My prayer is that by the time we're finished, you would understand what I would say are the four most important truths about hell. That you would not only understand them, but that you would share those truths with the people who desperately need to hear it. So if you're taking notes, you can jot this down, follow along with me. First of all, hell is a place of eternal separation eternal separation. The biblical picture is one of complete separation from God. Now, some scholars think that hell is going to be a place where people are separated from everybody else as well, kind of like solitary confinement. Others believe it's going to be an eternal torture, a team thing, like Dante's Inferno, with bodies upon bodies suffering all together. However, there's no specific passage that tells us what it's going to be like. What we do know is that we will be separated from God forever. Paul speaks about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want you to read this passage with me. God is what? He's just. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. And what? shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Shut out. What does that mean? That means banished. That means separated forever from God. Heaven is the presence of God. Hell is void of God's presence. God is light. Hell is the absence of it. And that's what makes hell, hell. It's the absence of God. And this is something that none of us have ever experienced. I love what Max Licato said when he talked about this. He said, none of us have seen such a blessingless world. Even the vilest precincts of humanity know the grace of God. People who want nothing of God, they still enjoy his benefits. The dictator, the child molester, the serial rapist, the drug peddler, they all enjoy the common grace of God's goodness. They hear children laugh. They smell dinner cooking. They tap their toes to the rhythm of a good song. They deny God, yet they enjoy his benevolence. But these privileges are confiscated at the gateway to hell. Friends, I'm telling you, without God's presence, there is no mercy. There is no protection. There is no intervention. There is no order. 
There is no restraint. There is no peace. There is no grace. There is no rest. In hell, all hope and happiness perish forever. In the New Testament, the English word that we translate as hell, it actually comes from two different Greek words, Hades and Gehenna. And there is a difference between those two words. Hades is the place of the dead. It is the temporary residence of the wicked awaiting final judgment. And Jesus spoke about this in his parable in Luke 16, the rich young man and Lazarus. Now, Gehenna is used 12 times in the New Testament. 11 times, Jesus is the one who talks about it. Gehenna is the eternal state of final punishment for those who reject Jesus. So they're slightly different. Hades is the temporary place. Gehenna is the eternal place. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And Jesus used this specific word because everybody in his day knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew what Gehenna was. Gehenna in Greek or Hinnom in Hebrew. It was a very deep ravine on the south side of Jerusalem. And by today's definition, it would be considered a city dump. People would take their trash and their refuse to the city walls. They would just throw everything over and it would roll all the way down to the bottom of this valley, to the bottom of this ravine. It was this pit that was constantly kept on fire 24-7, much like a trash incinerator today. The fire would continually burn up all that trash, all the refuse. Gehenna was an area that had been condemned because 700 years before, the wicked kings Ahaz and Manasseh, they had sacrificed their infant sons to the false god that they worshipped named Molech. And it was also where these evil kings, they would throw the bodies of all the executed criminals. They would just throw them over the city wall down into this ravine. So this garbage dump, it was a place that was haunted with terrible memories from Israel's wicked past. It was a smelly, smoldering pit that was always burning. And Jesus, being the master teacher, he wanted to point them to this. He drew the comparison to convey the reality of hell so that his listeners could grasp it, so that they could understand. But it's much more than just a trash dump. Listen to the other ways that Gehenna is described in Scripture. Smoke, fire, torment, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, unquenchable fire, second death, damnation, burning sulfur, bottomless pit, everlasting prison. This place is literally the worst thing that you could possibly imagine. And whoever ends up in hell will be separated from God forever. So if that's the case... Why would God create such a place? Why would he create hell? And that leads us to our second truth. Hell exists to punish Satan. You see, even though Satan wants us to think of him as this harmless dude in a red suit and a pitchfork, whispering things in our ears, he sits on our shoulder, we must understand that Satan is the embodiment of all evil. Behind every addiction, there's Satan. Behind every abuse, there's Satan. Behind every fear, there's Satan. Behind every ounce of pain and shame and hurt, there's Satan. Jesus describes him as a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. Paul says that the devil masquerades around as an angel of light. The Bible also calls Satan the destroyer. 
the deceiver, the dark angel, the accuser, the tempter, the wicked one, the thief, the father of lies. He wants to steal your joy. Friends, he wants to kill your faith. He wants to destroy your health. He wants to eliminate your marriage. He wants to ruin your finances. Satan is not some harmless fictional character. I don't care what everybody else says about him. He is the embodiment of evil, and hell is the place that God created for him to punish him. Revelation 20 verse 10, it paints this picture. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Now, if you ask, that sounds pretty fair to me, right? I mean, he's bad. He's terrible. Satan is the worst of the worst. So a lake of burning sulfur, that sounds like an appropriate punishment for the person who is the embodiment of all evil. Can we agree on that? Like that's, that's what he deserves, right? But here's the third truth, and we may not like this one as much. Hell also exists to punish all sin. All sin. See, according to the Bible, sin is missing God's mark. And it's often described as like a bullseye. If you're throwing darts or you're shooting arrows, you're always aiming for that center, for that bullseye. And God says, if you miss that bullseye even one time, that's sin. You are falling short of my perfect standard. It is doing something against the will of God. It is knowingly and unknowingly disobeying God's command. But our culture today doesn't really like to think of sin that way. We think that as long as we're not hurting anybody, it's not that big of a deal. Sin is in the eye of the beholder. You live how you want to live, let me live how I want to live, and we're all good. We can decide for ourselves what's right and wrong, but friends, that too is a lie. God is the only one who sets the standard of holiness. And if we miss his mark, then we have sinned, and sin demands punishment. Look again at 2 Thessalonians 1. We just read this verse. God is just. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And that's a passage that a lot of Christians, a lot of believers, we just like to skip right over that one. We like to ignore it. You see, we are totally fine with hell being the eternal place where Satan will be punished. But we don't think that we deserve that same treatment that he does. Why is that? The reality is that none of us are righteous. We have all broken God's rules. Romans 3.10, Paul says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Wages means you and I get what we earn. We get what we deserve. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, Eric, I get it. Hell is bad. It's real bad. I understand. But look, there's no way I'm going to wind up there. I mean, I'm not a terrible person. I'm, I'm pretty good. And if you compare me to, like, somebody say Brad Starn, Brad's a bad dude, right? I mean, did you hear what he said 
last week about his parents? Do you know what he did? Do you see what he wrote on Facebook? Like, Brad is bad. I am not nearly that bad, so I'm okay. I'm going to be just fine. I hate to break it to you. It doesn't matter who you compare yourself to. You and God are not okay. That's because heaven is a place of perfection. And if you have committed even one sin in your entire lifetime, you will not be allowed in. I didn't set the rules. God did. We may not like it. We may not agree with it. But we didn't create the universe. So whatever God says, that's what goes. But I want you to know this. God has gone through some incredible links so that everyone has the opportunity to go to heaven. Every sinner has the chance to repent and change. Do you believe that, church? 2 Peter 3, 9 tells us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God does not want you to spend an eternity in hell. He is patient with you. And I get a few blank stares right now. I don't know the vibe that I'm getting from you, but I know this is heavy. I know it's a lot. I know this subject makes us uncomfortable. We don't talk about it enough, especially if you're a first-time guest. In fact, I was talking to one of the singers before service, and she said, Eric, I invited some family today, and I didn't know what you were going to talk about. I don't know how it's going to land with them. That's okay. I can just see the, the complaints I might get tomorrow. Thanks a lot, Eric. My neighbor finally came. My boss came with me. My brother, who hasn't been to church in years, walked through the doors today. And this is the subject that you decide to talk about? Are you kidding me? Why, hell, why are you so heavy-handed? Why are you talking about this right now? Here's why. On May 27, 2007, the day I was ordained to be a pastor, I made a promise that I would not say what itching ears want to hear but that I would preach the entire word of God, even if it's unpopular, even if it's politically incorrect, even if it's culturally insensitive, even if it offends people. I made a commitment to never budge from the truth. And church, the truth is that we all need to be reminded of the reality of hell. I do, and so do you. So does your boss. So does your neighbor. So does your spouse. So does your brother and your sister. So does your classmate. You see, hell is a place of eternal separation. Hell exists to punish Satan. And hell exists to punish sin. You and I are sinful people, and we deserve to spend eternity in hell. Welcome to Northside Christian Church, Medina. We're so glad you're here. Yay! So we can kind of laugh about that, but it is true. I am glad you're here. I really am. And I know we've got some first, second time guests this morning. You know, while none of this makes us feel good, it's the truth. And we need to hear about it more often than we do. But I want to close with sharing the best news, the biggest truth about hell. Here it is. Thanks to Jesus... You don't have to go to hell. 
Could you do me a favor and just look at your neighbor and tell him that? Come on now. I heard like one person start to clap. We should all be clapping about that, so let's give God some praise. Say it with me. Say it with me. Thanks to Jesus, you don't have to go to hell. Think about everything that God endured. God the Father watched his innocent son be whipped and beaten to within an inch of his life. Then he watched as Roman soldiers drove spikes into his hands and his feet. And for six hours, he watched his only son suffocate and die on a cross. With every drop of blood, Jesus paid for every single sin that you and I will ever commit. And he did it so that we did not have to face the wrath that we rightly deserve. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You and I are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, we need to ask a very important question. What would it take to warrant a place in hell? Answer, reject Jesus and choose to walk away from his saving grace. That's it. If you continue to tell God, get out, leave me alone, I don't believe you, I don't need you, I don't care about you. Let me live my life my way. Eventually you will get your wish. You see, you either choose to live with God or you choose to live without him. Wide are the gates that lead to hell. Narrow is the path that leads to life. There is no other option. There's no in-between. That is why Jesus, I believe, is the most important person in history. His work on the cross and through the resurrection means that hell has no power over the believer. Christians do not need to fear sin and death or hell. Because when we trust and obey Jesus, hell is defeated forever. We are forgiven. We are washed by the blood of the Lamb. We are saved by the Son of suffering. And that, my friends, is the best news ever. And if we truly believe, if we truly believe that we have been saved by God's grace through the work of Jesus, then we cannot keep that story to ourselves. We must do everything we can to tell others the truth about hell and the truth about Jesus. So would you just do me a favor this morning? If you have said yes to Jesus, if you placed your faith in Jesus, just raise your hand. If he is your Lord and Savior, awesome. Keep him up, keep him up. That's like 98% of the room. Fantastic. Let me ask you, if you just raised your hand, when was the last time that you prayed for someone to not go to hell? When was the last time that you invited someone to church? When was the last time that you shared your story of transformation and what Jesus has done in your life with someone who is lost and needs to hear it? Charles Spurgeon, a preacher in the 1800s, he famously said this, one of my favorite quotes. He said, if sinners be condemned, 
At least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees. Let no one, let no one go to hell unwarned and unprayed for. Fellow Christians, that is our responsibility. That is our job. That is our mission. That is our calling. That is our purpose. Jude one twenty three gives us a very direct command. He says very simply, save others by snatching them from the fire. Read that with me. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Friends, hell is real. And when people die without accepting Christ as their Lord and Savior, that is where they will go for all eternity. So you and I, if we have said yes to Jesus, we must spend every ounce of our energy in this lifetime to do everything we can through the power of the Holy Spirit working on us to help snatch lost people from the fire. For centuries, people have asked the question, why would a loving God send people to hell? And the answer is always the same. He doesn't. He doesn't. We choose hell when we reject Jesus. Every day, God offers you and I the opportunity to repent. With every breath that we take, Jesus literally stands at the gate of hell and he says to you and I, the only way that you're getting over here is over my dead body. You have to avoid me. You have to ignore me. You have to completely reject me if you want to enter here. That is why choice, not chance, will determine where you spend eternity. Choice not chance. Friends, it is your choice. God doesn't send anyone to hell. We make that decision for ourselves.